So again, we want to welcome you if you're new here today. We are uh, so glad that you're here and we pray that you feel uh, loved and encouraged and, and right at home. Uh, if, uh, if you've been uh, looking around at all, maybe you have kids and so this is a reality for you, but it's that time of year where kids are rolling uh, back into school. I don't know if you heard this or not. Uh, God's blessed uh, hope with the ability to uh, reach out uh, to the community around us in a lot of different ways. Uh, Hillside Elementary uh, is an elementary school kind of in the Valley Junction area, and they found out a couple weeks before school started that they had a mold issue uh, in their new building, and so they didn't have anywhere to go. And so all 600 kids plus their whole staff didn't have anywhere to go, and so as Lutheran Church of Hope, we reached out, and so for the next uh, eight weeks, uh, Hillside Elementary is at Lutheran Church of Hope. So praise God for that, huh? That's a pretty neat thing. It's really incredible. So we got a chance to meet the superintendent and the principal, and uh, I haven't gotten sent to the principal's office yet uh, at Hope. But uh, it's, it's that time of year. As you know, uh, most kids around the metro area, the kids here at Hubble are heading back to school, which means a change of schedule, which means for many parents uh, as well. For most kids, it's probably one of those sighs of like, oh, man, summer's over. And for a lot of parents, it's a sigh of, Ah, <sighs> summer's over, right? It's a little bit different uh, reaction, uh, maybe a little change of pace. Um, I know for me, I never wanted summer to end. I was one of those kind of kids, and uh, every year around this time, it was like I could almost begin to hear those annoying school bells in my head. Like, you just hear them so often, you know? And so you just start hearing them in your head. I'm like, am I dreaming or not? Or am I crazy? I don't know. But the reason that I learned to kind of fear the school bell uh, is the way in which I chose to arrive at school. So sometimes just kind of being in a school just kind of brings me back to those days. So I grew up, uh, particularly junior high, I grew up um, about four blocks from the school. And so seventh grade, uh, I have Miss Simpson for first period class, and she is uh, English. And so I live so close that I would time it out to the very last second, and then I would run to school. Did anybody ever have to run to school? Okay, a few of you. Okay, so you're really going to get this. So we're in a small town, and I'm not too far away from the school. And so the rule was you have to be in your seat by 8.30, which means I got up at 8.17, right? And so long enough to take a three-minute shower, throw down some cereal, and then begin the mad dash, with my, which my parents called the sprint of shame, okay? The, the, the sprint of shame was because you know you got up way too late to be able to get to school, and it's going to take longer for mom or dad to get the car warmed up, get you in the car, and get over to school than for you to just make a sprint for it. So it was the sprint of shame. And so I'm running across the street. I remember I'm running across people's yards uh, that I probably shouldn't have been, up, to the, uh, up the stairs and into the class of Miss Simpson. Now, there's kind of a long, narrow entryway to the class, kind of like this uh, spot over here. And so you can run in, and if you catch her at just the right moment with Miss Simpson's back turned, I could run in because my chair was literally like right there. And so it was on the other side. And so what I would do is I would sprint up through the door and not dropping my, my speed. Many days, I would actually dive into my chair to make it just as the bell rung. So... This worked for a while until the one day when the cutest girl in seventh grade 
uh, was sitting next to me. And so I do my normal routine and I come running in and I see the chair and it's open and I see the clock and it's like 8.29 and three-fourths. And so I know I have like 15 seconds and I'm running in and I'm going so fast that I kind of dive and I kind of slide into my chair, but I have so much momentum that the chair just continues and the chair starts tipping over and I kind of lean over into the, the cute girl next to me and then I don't know what else to do. I'm going to fall. And so what do you do when you're a seventh grade boy? You push off, right? So I just push off the seventh grade girl and back and I kind of pop up and smile and we start class. And that is how I remember going back to school. Pretty normal, right? Anyway, that's, that's what I remember. So I don't recommend you trying that for worship next week, coming and, and diving uh, into your chair. But I will never forget what Miss Simpson told me that day after class when I came uh, tipping in. She said, she said this, John, I love having you in class, and I'm always excited to have you here, no matter what time you arrive. Okay, oh, that made me feel good. But she said, but you know what? I think you'd have a lot less stress in your life if you left just five minutes earlier, right? And then she kind of looked at me and said, do you think we can try that from now on? And I go, yeah, yeah, I think I can try that from now, from now on. And so she said, I don't, in fact, I don't want you to miss out on connecting with your friends beforehand. So can we give that a try? Yeah. And it was weird because in that moment, I remember that day, it was like the second or third day of school, and I just remember something kind of rising up in me that I felt, I felt really valued in the mistake I made. I felt I didn't have a guilt trip. I, I didn't feel ashamed, but just an invitation into her class and a challenge to live different. An invitation in and a challenge to live different. And so I tell you that in order to tell you this, the same challenge that my English teacher gave me that day is the same challenge that Jesus Christ offers to every single one of us, and he invites you into his classroom this fall. You thought you were done with school. You were done with school. Think again. That's not the case. So Jesus invites you into his classroom this fall, which is not a school like this with a gym and a cafeteria and desks. Jesus invites you into his school this fall, which is in the schoolroom called Life. And he wants to meet you there. And with you and I as his students, or as the word that the Bible uses for it, is apprentices. We know it as disciples. So just as there's going to be a lot of little kids running around here following behind teachers, Jesus says, come follow me. And the offer is the same that my English teacher offered me, an invitation to be a student of Jesus and a challenge to live differently. And what is our textbook for this class, you might ask? It's the one that many of you are holding in front of you right now. So if you've got that, go ahead and get out your Bible if you haven't already. And we're actually going to start, not in Romans today, but in Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to get a little backstory here. It's your first day of class, and uh, instead of me being your teacher, uh, we have a great teacher, uh, and he's a great rabbi, and his name is Jesus. In fact, he's the greatest rabbi that ever lived. And just as in the New Testament, when a rabbi would call some, some students, some followers to follow him, Jesus says, come and be my apprentices. And so we're going to check in on Jesus and his uh, school of life in Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 24. Matthew 16, 24. If you've got it, say, I've got it. All right. 
So remember, Jesus has called these 12 ordinary guys, these uh, apprentices, to follow him, just as most rabbis did. And by this time, we're about halfway into Jesus' ministry, classes in session. And this is Jesus' lesson for his school that day. Verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Verse 25, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Ooh, that's a pretty rough lesson for first day of class, right? Wow, turns out that Jesus' school is not so easy. That sounds a, bit, a little bit more challenging than just giving, getting to seventh grade English on time. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Lose your life. That sounds like a lot to ask. But just like Miss Simpson, the offer is the same. If you'll notice, just in these few short verses, Jesus offers us an invitation to relationship and a challenge that's far greater than just showing up on time. <laughs> this is a challenge that's worth giving your life to, to actually become like Jesus. Jesus says, follow me and be my disciples, which in that day meant the students wanted to be exactly like the rabbi, not just in head knowledge, but to live every aspect of their life like them. And it turns out it's the same offer that that invitation and challenge that Jesus offers us that the Apostle Paul talks about in our scripture from Romans 15. So flip now a few chapters back to Romans 15, and we're going to get Paul's take on this. So Jesus says invitation and challenge, and now we're going to hear what Paul says. Chapter 15, and we're going to start at verse 4. You know we've been traveling through Romans this summer. We've got a few weeks left here. We had some powerful messages, just powerful ideas from Paul in, in the last few chapters. And a lot of us, we just kind of say, okay, I'm done with Romans now, and we just kind of skip out. But I don't want you to miss the great ending of Romans. And so, if you'll remember, Paul is writing to the church, just like us, in Rome. And Paul has finished doing some teaching of his own. And so, by the end of chapter 14, uh, he's teaching you how to be... You got it? Disciples. And so here at the beginning of 15, in verse 4, he makes this powerful statement. Verse 4, such things, meaning these instructions from God, were written in the scriptures long ago. Why? To teach us. And then let's read verse 5 together up here on the screen. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. So what Paul is saying to us this morning is we've been given God's word. We've been given this instruction for two main reasons. Number one, so that we can know how patient God is with us. And number two, that we can know his encouragement. Well, isn't that nice, you might say. That's all soft and nice and fluffy, and you should put that on a little Hallmark card, John. That's really cute, right? Jesus is like a Cabbage Patch Kid, right? He's really cute. He wants to love you and encourage you, and he's really patient with you. Is that really what Paul's saying here? I don't know. Let's look a little bit deeper, and we'll find what Paul is getting at. Let's take that first word, patience, or hippomone. Say hippomone. Not hippopotamus. Hippomone. 
There, now you know a Greek word, okay? We're going to go to Greek class here today. Hippomone, if we look at that in the original text, this idea of patience, that God offers us his patience, it's not so much sitting around and God's waiting for us, checking his watch. Hippomone, on the other hand, is steadfast loyalty rooted in love. Say, rooted in love. Steadfast loyalty rooted in love. That's what Paul's talking about here. It means God saying to every single one of us this morning, I'm committed to you. And this is way more than just waiting around. God says to you, and I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. <laughs> this is my invitation to you today, God says. We're in this together, and my love will not change for you. I am loyal. I have this patience, this deep commitment to you. And I'm not leaving. But there's another aspect to God's offer, uh, and it's this encouragement that Paul says, and this one may surprise you a little bit as well. Uh, and so when Paul talks about encouragement, he's saying paraklesis. Say paraklesis. Paraklesis. That's your second Greek word for today. And that is this idea of, in the original text, of a stirring address. Think about the most impassioned, uh, uh, inspirational speech you've ever heard. An in stirring address or a challenge. Meaning not beating around the bush. So this encouragement isn't just a nice little pep talk, just, oh, come on, do better. The kind of encouragement that Paul is talking about here is something much deeper. It's this paraclesis, meaning a stirring address or challenge. God says, and secondly, I'm not backing down on the truth. I'm going to tell you exactly how it is today. No fluffy language. In other words, Paul is saying to the disciples in Rome, God's offer to you is an invitation to relationship that is unwavering and rooted in love. And secondly, a passionate challenge to you that is fitting, as he writes, for a follower of Jesus. A challenge to become like him. Hippomone to invite you in and paraclesis to transform your life. If you hear me say nothing else today, hear me say this. What Jesus is saying in Matthew 16 and what Paul is saying in Romans 15 is simply this. God accepts you and loves you just as you are this morning. And he refuses to leave you that way. Hear me say that again. God loves you and accepts you right where you are today. And he refuses to leave you that way. That's his offer. And he refuses to leave you that way. He is loyal and committed to what? To making you like his son. To making you like Jesus. How does this change occur? How, how does that happen? How does God make us into his disciples? How does Jesus do that? Well, it's the same way he did it with his first disciples. It's the same method that my seventh grade English teacher used, and it's the same method that Paul's talking about here in Romans 15. It's the collision of invitation and challenge. Everybody say invitation. invitation. Say challenge. challenge. Invitation. invitation. Challenge. All right, you got it. That's what brings the transformation. And so if we take a look at this, and this is going to be up on the screen too to help you see it if you can't see this very well. But this idea of invitation and challenge, if we kind of put it on 
a quadrant, we know that if we can have invitation and challenge, there's various degrees of that. So we have a high invitation and high challenge. That's how Jesus made disciples, and this is where transformation happens. It's what Paul's getting at in Romans 15. We have high hippomone, and we have high paraclesis. That's what Paul is talking about to us. But we know that if we can have high invitation and high challenge, that means that we can have also low invitation and low challenge. There's varying degrees of that. And so there's opposites. And so Jesus' offer to us this morning is to live here. Because what happens if you have a high invitation to relationship as Jesus offered his disciples, but you have no challenge? What is that like? I'll tell you what it is. It's cozy. And that may sound nice to you uh, if you're not a morning person. I want to get back in the covers and be cozy. But that's not something worth giving your life to. On the other hand, if we have low invitation, where there's no invitation to relationship, we're just cold-hearted. We don't accept each other, as Paul's talking about here in Romans 15. And there is no challenge. There's nothing to live for. What's that? Boring. Right? You could also call it irrelevant. (laughs) Right? And that, last but not least, what Jesus offers his disciples is a high challenge, but if there's no relationship a part of that, then what we get is burnout. If I could learn how to spell. There you go. So those are the different ways that Jesus says this is how you can live. And so as opposed to Jesus' offer to his disciples to experience transformation, we can live in a lot of different places. All of us, if you think about it, are living at one end of the spectrum or another of this hippomone and this paraclesis, this invitation and this challenge that Jesus offers to every single one of us. All of us are living a version of the Christian life that falls somewhere there once in a while. So we have cozy, we have boring, we have burnout, and we have transformation. Think about that for a second. Where are you living these days? Where are you living? What describes the life that you're living? In a cozy culture, it's great. And some of you have been a part of churches like this. You've been a part of communities like this. You've been a part of small groups like this. You've been a part of friendships like this. We love you, and we accept you, and we want you to be a part of us. You are more than welcome, but we don't really have anything for you to give your life to. <laughs> there's, there's no real challenge. And so we end up just getting really comfortable with where we're at. There's nothing to live for. Some of you have lived down here. <laughs> Some of you have experienced this version of Christianity that, that, that you're living. You're like, I have nothing new to learn about God. <laughs> there is no new challenge And to be honest, I don't really have time for relationships. This whole community thing, this whole life group thing you've been talking about, that's not really for me. And because of it, life's not too exciting. It's more about coming and putting in your time. Last but not least, more often than not, sometimes we live in that culture. 
because we go, 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 go. If your version of Christianity has way more doing than being, something's out of whack. There's a reason that Jesus said to his disciples, follow me, follow me, be invited into my life, experience a relationship from me, get filled up from me, and then I'm going to send you out. And you're going to do even greater things than I did. You're going to go and make disciples. That's where transformation happens, in our being and our doing as his disciples. In fact, as we kick off another year of life groups, today is life group Sunday and you met our coaches up here this morning. One of the questions that we'll, we'll ask in life group leader training, one of the questions that we ask uh, when we check in with our leaders, uh, we don't ask them, is everybody comfortable in your group? <laughs> Although we hope that's taking place. We hope everybody feels welcome. The question that we ask our life group leaders is not, is everybody busy? <laughs> Although we want you to be active. But neither of those is the ultimate goal. What we ask is, are the people in your group more like Jesus than they were last year at this time? Are we experiencing transformation? And if not, what's getting in the way of that? And let's pray about that and let's talk about that together. That's why we exist. That's what we would call success. <laughs> success. Not how many Bible studies you're in. Not how much you've read through the Bible. We're looking for transformation. That's where we're headed. And so time and time again in the Gospels, we see Jesus doing exactly what Paul is talking about here in Romans 15. Jesus says, I'm going to invite you into my life and give you access to every nook and cranny. A great challenge for all of us is if, if I told somebody to go imitate your life, would you be comfortable with that? I don't know, right? I got a few rough edges, right? But Jesus says, go and make disciples. Meaning, not of yourself, but pointing them to me. But our lives are to imitate his. And so Jesus starts inviting people into his life. He starts building this relationship. He starts building this trust. And then he brings the challenge. The, 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 the most, um, I don't know, the, the most incredible example I can think of this. You remember the woman that was caught in adultery? Right? We see this in the Gospel of John, right? There's this woman that's been caught in adultery. She's, she's drug out into the town square, probably with not wearing anything, completely ashamed. And everybody's standing around. All the religious leaders are standing around ready to stone her. These big old rocks. And here comes the rabbi. Here comes Jesus. And he said, okay, uh, those of you without sin, why don't you go first? And stone by stone, they drop it. Jesus comes to the woman in her guilt, in her shame, in her sin, and says, you know what? There's no one here to condemn you. And neither do I. High, high, high invitation to relationship and love. But then what does he say next? How does the story end? Therefore, go and stop your life of sin challenge. High challenge. Jesus looks at this woman right in the eyes and says, I love you right where you are, but I refuse to let you live that way. A beautiful example of high invitation and high challenge. 
In fact, Paul picks up on this idea of how we're to, to live in community with others. I love this one of my favorite verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's up on the screen. This is what Paul says to some fellow believers that he loves. Let's read this together. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Jesus didn't just come up to the adulterous woman and say, now I will give you a three-point sermon on why you should stop sinning. And that's not what Paul's saying either. Paul's saying, when I plant churches, when we do this thing, we're doing life together because I love you. I love you so much, not just to preach at you, but to live the sermon. (laughs) I want my life to ultimately be the sermon. Paul says, Jesus says, whenever we confront people, whenever we challenge people in their walk with God, it always has to be wrapped in a blanket of love. Why else would you be doing it? To boost yourself up, to make yourself feel better? Challenge always follows invitation to relationship. So I wonder, my question is, what would it look like just not for us as individuals to live this way? What would it look like for us to live out Romans 15 as a community, as a church? To let some hippomone, say hippomone, to let some hippomone fly around this place a little bit more. I just wonder, what would it look like to, to express that warm love and hospitality that every single one of us longs for? And so, in fact, if we're not careful, our, our welcome can become cold. Jesus calls us not just as individuals to be high on invitation and hospitality and relationship, but as a community. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a church in any of those other areas. I want to be a church that's all about transformation. And in order to do that, we got to open our arms wide, folks. We got to be a church that, as Paul talked about uh, a couple weeks ago in, uh, in Romans chapter 12, high on hospitality, high on love, high on welcome. To show you what this can look like gone wrong, <laughs> I want to show you a short commercial that is actually from, it's in a movie theater uh, in Belgium. And what they did is they, in, in a single movie theater, they placed 148 just mean, angry looking bikers, right? You ever met a biker? Do you have a few? Are, are you one? right? I was in a previous life. Um, And so uh, they put 148 of just these mean looking dudes in this theater. And it's actually a commercial for this this beverage, this soda pop that is from uh, uh, Belgium. And and much to the surprise of some late coming innocent couples, (laughs) they run into something that they don't think they're going to run into. And so as you watch this short clip, I want you to tell me from the perspective of those coming into this crowd late, Are they experiencing high invitation and high hospitality or really low invitation and low hospitality? Let's take a look. I don't know, but when I watch uh, commercials for soda pop in Belgium, I think about you. But think about that, right? What would you have done? How would you feel, right? Picture, Picture yourself for a second. You're walking into that movie theater. How do you think those couples must have felt? Really low, low invitation, right? I don't want to step on anybody. I don't want to be rude to anybody. Um, And then I want you to imagine for a second that that movie theater is a church. Yikes, right? Right away, I don't know if that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of, but I show you that clip for two reasons. Number one, 
how easy is it, uh, is it for us to see the people around us in our community and immediately snap into those stereotypes? <laughs> what do you think those couples felt when they first walked into that theater? Uh, I think I'm going to go to a different movie, right? But these guys are the most fun-loving people you ever met, right? I want to hang out with those guys. That's the kind of community I want to be a part of. And the second reason I show you that clip is because every single one of us is both the crowd and the visitors. Every single one of us is like the newcomer every week that really, really wants to be loved and accepted. And every single one of us has the same ability to offer that love and acceptance to those around us. We're both. We've experienced both. Every single one of us has the opportunity to make the couples feel like they did at the beginning or at the end. Maybe not with the spotlight and, and those beverages, but we got some pretty darn good coffee. I think the donut holes are okay. Are they? Okay? All right. So that's, that's the goal. So every week when you come here, it's our goal to throw a party because there ain't no party like a Jesus party. Amen? Amen. Right? So our, our goal is to throw a party when you come every single week. What Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says this, don't, don't just act like you're loving people. Don't just fake it. Really love them. Really love them. That's the kind of community that I want to be a part of. Paul says, be generous in your hospitality. In your hospitality. We've been called to so much more than just sitting around with our arms crossed and looking at each other. But we've been called to some big time, big time hippomone to throw the best party in town so that as many people can come as they can. The reason that we uh, take so seriously the roles of, of ushers and greeters and things like that is because you're not just volunteers. You're the welcoming crew to the party, folks. You're the ones on the front porch. You're the ones that get to say, welcome home. Welcome home. You've entered the zone of high invitation. <laughs> You've entered the zone of high hospitality. And we love you, and we accept you just as you are. We are so glad that you're here. Welcome home. But this call isn't just for us. It's for you. It's for me. It's for us as individuals. And so you might say, okay, that's great. You know, I want to be a part of a community like that. I want to feel good. I want to feel loved and welcomed. But I'm, my faith is just kind of a private thing. I'm just going to kind of keep it to myself. You know, I, I, I don't really want other people in my business, and I don't really think it's my role to get in other people's business as well. But the task that Jesus has given us is to seek transformation, not only for ourselves, but for those that we love, that we're in relationship with. The last thing Jesus says before he leaves is in Matthew chapter 28. Therefore, go and make disciples. Does he say, go and make disciples? Church members? <laughs> Does he say go and make audience members in a theater? No, he says go and make disciples, apprentices of me. That means discipleship gets messy sometimes because our lives are messy sometimes. Another beautiful invitation of, uh, example of high invitation and high challenge. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you all the time to the end of the age. Therefore, go to the ends of the earth and make disciples. That's our call we call this the great commission, not the great option, right? Not the great omission, right? It's the great commission, meaning go do it. I got a front row seat to watching this transformation take place in this life-on-life -life 
discipleship. I was a couple years out of college, and I was living in a house uh, with some guys a few years back, and uh, a few, a few years back now, and uh, we had three uh, roommates, and we needed a fourth, because why, when you're a college, or when you're a young guy right out of college, you'll do anything to knock down your rent, right? So we're looking for a fourth, right, because he can pay a little bit more, and so we, we go, <laughs> I kind of laugh about this now, but we interview this guy, right, because we want to make sure he's a good dude, right? We got a pretty good thing going, right? So we interview him, we talk, we get to know him a little bit, and we go home and we pray about it. And the next morning we say, hey, we would love to invite you into a relationship, into our home. And so we invite him in. And at first he's really quiet and he's really shy. And so I start to get to know him a little bit. And I found out, man, he is craving relationship. Guys, we're not very good at friendships, are we? It doesn't come as easy for us. And so I realized this. I'm like, this guy needs a friend. And then as I started to befriend him, I realized, you know what? I need a friend. I'm not very good at relationships either. So we start inviting each other into our lives and we start to experience some really cool things. We find out we have a lot of uh, uh, similar ideas. We both love Dr. Pepper. We're both fans of God's team, the Bears. And the list just goes on and on and on. We have all these things in common. We're getting into each other's lives. We have this high invitation, this high relationship with each other. And so before long, we're pretty good friends. But there was one thing that we were missing, and it was challenge. Our, our relationship was about that deep. <laughs> Maybe you know what that's like. You've never had a difficult situation. The depth of your relationships is a lot of times determined by the amount of challenge and conflict you're willing to work through. Think about the people that you've been through the most with in your life. Don't you have the most depth in your relationship with them? And so we never had any challenge. And so he was challenging me on some things, and that was good. And I appreciated so many things about him, but there was just one glaring part of his life that I just couldn't ignore anymore, and it was the way that he saw women. It was the way that he viewed and talked about females. And so being young men living in a college town, you can imagine there's plenty of opportunity. But instead of treating them and, and talking to women as sisters in Christ, he, there's just one area of his life. It's just, he just talked about them as objects. As just something to, 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 to swoon over. And it just rubbed me the wrong way and just irked me for weeks and then months. And of course, the other guys in the house noticed it as well. And they're like, John, you got to talk to him because you, you know him the best. You have this relationship. And so for just weeks, I agonized over whether to uh, talk to him or not, to confront him, to challenge him or not, because I, I don't want to lose the friendship. We got a really good thing here go, uh, going. I don't know who I'm going to watch the Bears games with. If he doesn't like this, if he doesn't react well to this, what if he looks at me and says, well, John, you're not perfect either? Well, which, which he would be right. There's plenty of things that he could challenge me on. But as I prayed about it, I felt God giving me the courage to step up and speak the truth. And so we were hanging out in the kitchen one night and we started to talk about some things. And I just said, Danny, we'll call his name Danny. I said, Danny, can I, can I talk to you about something? And he said, yeah, sure. Whatever, bro. Shoot. Um, you know, we're brothers, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know that we told each other that we would help each other become men of God, right? Yeah. 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 So we said, yeah. And I just looked him right in the eyes and I said, man, you got to stop, stop treating women that way. 
And I'm like shaking when I'm saying this, right? Because he's a lot taller and a lot bigger than I am. I, Dude, you got to stop talking about women that way. It, you know, because Danny, it's, it's not who you are. And I love you too much not to say anything. And so as I'm doing that, my eyes go from him to the floor, and then I'm looking around for the nearest exit. Because <laughs> I am shaking in my boots. How do you think he responded to the challenge? Well, at first, here's what he did. He tried to muster up some defense. And at first he said, yeah, come on, John. It, it, it's, it's really not that bad. I, John, just chill out a little bit. You just need to relax. Stopped him again. John, you just need to, 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 to chill out. I, I, I tell you what, it's just, it's just a part of who I am and I can't change it. And he turned and he walked the other way. And he left. And for the next day, we didn't talk to each other. <laughs> Best friends, same roof, same house, no conversation. And we didn't talk the whole next day. At breakfast, two days later, we're sitting there eating our cereal like we did every morning. And in the silence, he looks up and he looks me right in the eyes. This big old guy, big strong man. And he just said, John... Thanks. Thanks for um, caring enough to say something. And by, <laughs> by the grace of God and through lots of prayer, he knew that the challenge was wrapped in a huge blanket of love. And that's how it has to be. And I don't know how those words came out of my mouth, but I think it was some of that hippomone, that loyal, deep-rooted love of commitment where God says to you and I, I'm not going anywhere. And we say that then to each other. I love you so much, I'm not going anywhere. And you might say, John, well, th that's just not me. I'm just not a, a confrontational kind of person. That's not my role. And no, it's not our role to go around and be Christian police that are looking to challenge everybody that we see. But I wonder how much merit would my words have had the next day if Danny would have heard me talking that exact same way about women. All of a sudden, my challenge has no merit whatsoever. And so during this whole time, I've been freaking out about having the conversation. I've been praying and asking God, okay, what do you want me to do? And here's what I felt, heard God say, John, be that man. John, be that man. Be the kind of disciple of Jesus that you are challenging him to be. And so at that time, I was dating this gal named Tiffany. And, John, and God says, John, be that man. And so it became my prayer and my hope every single day that the way that I loved and treated Tiffany would be the way that, Casey, or that, that, that you would start to see this come to life. And so I learned that challenge isn't just conversation, it's lifestyle, it's telling a better story. Challenge isn't saying to the other person, I'm better than you. Challenge is saying to the other person, I love you so much that I'm going to say something. Think about it. Parents, you know this. When your kid goes running into the street, what do you say? Stop! Come back, right? Challenge! Right? Throw the challenge flag, right? Come back! The reason you say something is because you love them so much because there's something that they're running after and you have something so much better for them on the curb 
And our Father says to every single one of us this morning, I have something so much better for you, but you gotta let me into your life so that I can challenge you on some things. For Danny, it was the way his, his skewed view of women. But maybe for you, it's the anger that you say, that's just part of who I am and it's never gonna change. Maybe for you, it's that addictive behavior that nobody knows about that you love to hide. Maybe for you, it's the bitterness that you are holding so tightly against a family member for what they did many, many years ago. Maybe for you, where he wants to challenge a little bit this morning is that frantic pace that you're living your life, that you just don't have time to love because you're so busy on the treadmill. And God looks at you like a loving father whose kid has just run out in the street and he says, come back. <laughs> come back because I have a much better way for you to live. I have something so much better for you. And he calls us to do the same for others, to have that same conversation, which is really, really hard. Every part of me did not want to have that conversation with Danny. And the last thing I know that many of you want to do or have done as parents is confront and challenge. Maybe today there's a, a close friend that you have and the last thing you want to do is speak the truth, but you know that God is calling you to do it. Love might be difficult, but it's so worth it. Because Danny is a different man, because I had nothing to do with it, because it was God through me, because he's the one that changes Lives. And so just a few years ago, I remember sitting in a pew in a church watching Danny get married to the love of his life and stare this beautiful woman of God in the eyes with all the love and deep loyalty and commitment that says, I'm not going anywhere because I love you that much. And God brought back that line and brought back that difficult conversation. And he said, see, John, I had something so much better for him. And boy, does he know it now. <laughs> Love is messy because our lives are messy. Not just for others. I've spent a lot of time talking about others, but this is the real deal for me too. Because <laughs> even pastors' lives get messy. So Tiffany and I bought a house a couple months ago and first couple weeks, it was an absolute disaster. And some days it still is. Some of you know this. And so we're sitting there a couple weeks into it and we are covered in dirt and sweat and boxes and, and paper cuts and tape and, and all sorts of stuff. And our hair's messed up and we're like living in our pajamas and we're just taking a break. And I'm sitting in the chair and she's sitting on the couch and there are boxes everywhere just stacked to the ceiling. And it is a disaster zone a state of emergency in our house. It is a mess. If any of you have ever moved, you know what this is like. And I just remember sitting there and feeling so frustrated about the mess and frustrated that nothing is where I, know, uh, where, where I want it to be. And I'm so exhausted and I'm so tired out and I'm surrounded by boxes and garbage and mess and it stinks and it just reeks of something that needs to be thrown out. And I'm so frustrated and we're sitting there and I, and I look over at Tiffany and she's sitting there and she's on the couch and she's half falling asleep. And in that moment, I just get this overwhelming sense of peace. And just like Danny looked over at his bride, I looked over at my bride, 
And, and this, this thought just popped in my head. Man, I love her so much. Right in the middle of this mess. Right in the middle of this mess. And it was almost like God said, and that's exactly how I feel about you. I don't know what your mess is today. <laughs> I don't know what area you find yourself living in today. <laughs> but your Father in Heaven looks at you and says, I love you <laughs> so much. Right in the middle of your mess. In the midst of your fears, in the midst of your doubts, in the midst of your anxieties, in the midst of your incompleteness, he looks at you with that hippomone kind of patience that Paul talks about and says, I'm not going anywhere. I am committed to you and I am committed to making you like my son. I've got something so much better for you than whatever you've been running to. I've got something so much better than just a life of comfort. That's not what you were created for ultimately. I've got something so much better than a boring and irrelevant life where your life doesn't really count for anything. And I've got something so much better than just surviving every single week so you can make it to the weekend. I've got something so much better to offer you and the offer to you this morning is life. And so as you stepped into class today, my question for you is what's your next step? Depending on where you find yourself, maybe first ask, God, where have I been living? And God says, first of all, I love you right in the middle of it, <laughs> just as you are. But I'm not going to leave you that way. So today, what's your next step? For some of you, it might be time to go back to Jesus' school <laughs> and stop being just a name on a membership list and start being a follower of Jesus Christ. For some of you, it might mean taking something off your plate rather than putting something on because you're going way too fast. That might be your next step today. For some of you, it might be those things we talked about. Get in community. Take the plunge. Take God up on his offer that life change happens when you get messy in one another's lives. It's what we were created for. Ultimately, we're not here to point you towards a class or group. We're here to point you towards Jesus Christ because knowing him is the best. Knowing him is the best. And I wouldn't want to point you anywhere else today. He wants to transform your life. Will you let him in? Will you let him in? Let's stand and pray.